Praise the Lord. You may be seated briefly. I do give honor to Brother Bradford and do respect him highly. I do want to say something um, about Bible quizzing. Uh, he had mentioned that that was one of the most trying times of CJ in my life. My life really was. Even that particular year, I can remember some devastating things that happened as I was leaving the house to get on the airport or to go to the airport to get on the airplane. And uh, I was I was having a hard time in life. I was 18 years old. The word of God was a mainstay in my life. It was an anchor. And uh, just to clarify on the story, uh, what had happened was CJ described it well. And uh, we had some fans in the audience. There were six teams from the Western District. And I believe it was Sacramento, San Jose, Rialto, Fresno, Chula Vista, and ourselves. And that game got a little out of hand. And then that night was when the incident with Levi Dansby occurred and what that was. He was the younger, and uh, we were just kind of picking on him while we were asleep in the dark. And, uh, so <laughs> and somehow he got very upset, and he jumped on me and hit me with a pillow. And then he went into the bathroom, and he took his bedding, and he slept there all night. And they, later that got, that got out, and uh, Bishop Frost was there and Brother Bradford, and they took CJ and me and Levi into a room and really, really let us know uh, how bad our behavior was. And we went on to quiz very well and got to the spot that I had mentioned, and, uh, and that was our last quiz. But we did, we did, out of all six of those teams, place the highest place the highest and I do attribute that to the great discipline that uh, Brother Bradford had to instill within us um, but we had a great time Bible quizzing is fantastic and uh, even to this day the doctrine I can quote many 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 of the verses uh, because I really feel like that year God put them in my heart so there's a plug for Bible quizzing let's all stand together and uh, move right into the word of God I really feel deep confirmation in what I'm about to preach tonight, and as you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 27, I want to read verses 41, 42, 43, and 44, and as you're turning there, I want to say that there are times that when you are preaching that you would like to go to a candy stick or something that would really get the crowd on their feet, and that's really not the purpose of preaching, something that's easy to preach. Uh, sometimes God drops something in your heart and you don't know why he has done it and you try and get away from it and uh, I'm sure these gentlemen to my right understand what I mean when I say that it's just best sometimes to use what God has given you and go that direction and so tonight I know God has already moved in a great deep way and whatever he does the remainder of this service is fine with me but God is not finished this evening do you believe that say amen God is not finished, and he is going to continue a work in this house. Acts chapter 27, verse number 41 reads, And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the fore part stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards, 
and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. And from this reading of the word tonight, I want to title this Shipwrecked But Ashore. Shipwrecked But Ashore. Let's pray together. Savior, we love you. We thank you, God, for the moving of your spirit that is in this place. God, I ask that you would continue to do a deep work in the remainder of this service. As you speak through these lips of clay, Lord, I pray that I, your servant, delivers the word of God as you have it fit for this congregation to hear. Let it be like a seed that would be planted in good ground and that would bring forth fruit in its season. Lord, touch our ears, and Lord, let us not be hearers only, but let us be doers of the word in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen. Shipwrecked, but ashore. This passage comes from a journey that Paul was on. He was on a mission to go to Rome. He wanted to speak to Caesar, for he was told that that was going to happen. And so he did not know that it would take two years of waiting. Finally, this moment came where he could sail to Rome. And so his whole life led up to this very moment. Everything that Paul had went through, all of his training, all of his experience, had prepared him to preach the gospel to Caesar himself. And on this journey from Jerusalem to Rome, Paul faced one of the fiercest storms of his life. And we find in the scriptures of Acts chapter 27, the beginning of this journey, how that already it had taken two years for Paul to get to this point. He was waiting on Felix, the governor, to set trial before him. Then finally, Fetus, the governor, came and gave him permission to go to Rome and finish his appeal in that area. And so we find Paul and other prisoners The Bible mentions it's 276 men that get aboard a boat and they travel from Tarsus to Myra to Rhodes to Salmone to Lasia to Claudia. In Myra, they decided that they needed a different boat, a bigger boat to haul everyone aboard. And so they changed ships there and continued their journey on to Fair Havens. And when we get to this place, they were thinking about staying there for the winter because it was about the time of October 5th, some say. And any time between there and late December, it was not a good time to go out on the Mediterranean Sea because of the weather. And we find that even Paul had made a suggestion to the centurion who was in charge that they should stay there at Fairhaven because there's going to be great danger. He said, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the landing and ship, but also of our lives. And verse 11 says, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And so they step aboard the vessel. And at first, everything seems hunky-dory. The wind blew soft from the south, the Bible says. 
and it looked like it was going to be a good journey. But not long after that, there arose a tempestuous wind, the Bible says, from the northeast. And the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind. And it could not be driven by those who were experienced in sailing. And isn't that the case a lot of times in this walk with God where we have a calling and we have a purpose. We have dreams and we have aspirations. And it seems like we're doing everything that we are called to do. And in this calling and in this fulfillment of our duties, there comes a storm that seems almost unbearable. And it causes us to question the very calling of God that he has placed on our lives. But can I just stop here and move forward ahead in my message and just say this? You just need to have faith and know that God is still in control and he will always be the one who can tame the sea and calm the waves and tell the storms to cease. It was not a good storm. And a few days had passed. And they were exceedingly tossed with the tempest day and night. It was so dark even in the daytime that there were no stars. There, were, there was no light. And the sailors of those days did not have compasses. Or I'm sorry, GPS. They had compasses. Um, not even compasses. I, I, I take that back. They just relied on the navigation of the stars. And so without being able to see the stars at night, or having light of day, even the most experienced sailors were not able to steer the vessel where it would it should go. And so they started uh, making emergency preparations, we find in this chapter, that they managed to haul the lifeboat from the side onto the deck because it was taking in large amounts of water. And they even took cables and they passed them transversely beneath the ship and tightened those ropes with winches to make sure that the ship would not fall apart in the middle of the raging seas. They were trying to hold everything together. They even lowered sea anchors to act as a break to the vessel as they drifted because they were being tossed so violently. And they even jettisoned much of the cargo to lighten the ship. They took even the ship's non-essential tackle, and they pulled it out of the boat. Things that, they, that weren't needed during this emergency crisis just to give the ship more buoyancy. They were willing to do whatever it took to make sure that this vessel was going to make it where it was supposed to go. And now a long time has passed, and Paul finally stands before them, and he tells them, Men, I want you to know something. He wasn't trying to say, I told you so. But he was just trying to get their attention and let them know that they are now in dire straits and that maybe they should take heed to his next following words, which were, I was visited by the angel of the Lord who told me, you're going to make it. And everyone in the ship 
is going to make it because God put a calling on you to go to Rome and to speak to Caesar. And so he gives them these words to be comfort to their ears. And a little later, he encourages them before they threw all the food overboard. He says, I know you haven't eaten. It's been 14 days because you're worried about getting sick. But I am encouraging you that we're all going to make it. You need to eat a little bit. Go ahead and, and just put a little food into your stomach. And so they obeyed Paul, this prisoner who had respect of the men and the centurion that was with him, guarding him. They ate what they could and they threw the remain overboard, waiting, wanting God to help them, wanting a miracle, wanting something to happen. Because Paul remembered in Acts chapter 23 and verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and the Bible says, and the night following the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as though as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. There was a promise given. There was hope given. And Paul trusted in this promise. Paul believed in this hope. And I want to tell somebody today that God's promises are yea and amen. And you're going to go through tempestuous storms and you're going to go through the trials of life like never before. But it is not the will of God that you should perish. And it is not the will of God that your lives should fall apart. But if you keep yourselves, as he said in verse 31, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. You've got to stay in the ship. You've got to go with what you know. And if that's Jesus, Christ, then you need to stick with him and his promise because he's going to follow through, honey. He's going to make sure that you're going to see daylight. He's going to make sure that you're going to reach the shores. Hallelujah. Can we clap our hands and worship him? I said you're going to make it if you stay inside the ship. Do you believe that? Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, come on, somebody. Clap your hands. I'm preaching truth tonight to GBFPC to somebody. And after this, the sailors saw a small creek, so they peered outside the bow, and they saw what they believed was land, so they measured with sound, and, and it was 20, 20 fathoms, and so then they measured again, and it was 15 fathoms away, and so because of fear of what might happen to the ship, they saw something else on the horizon. They thought it would be better to put together a plan B. And so they started lowering that lifeboat that they had put into the boat earlier. And they were trying to escape and get to the land quicker. They were sick and tired of their situation. And who blames them? They were fearing for their life. They had no tackle. They had no food. And everything was going to fall apart. And in a few days, they were going to get sick and weak. And here is land. And so they thought to themselves, let's just get out of the boat now. And let's make our way to that dry land. But Paul went over and he told the centurion, he said, listen, if these men do that, 
they're going to perish. Except they stay in the boat, they will die. Hallelujah. And that is what we need to remember tonight, that there may be sometimes better ways that seem to us a better way prepared, or maybe it looks better on the other side, or maybe plan B to you seems a lot better than what the preacher has been preaching, and that seems like the best way out. And so you're lowering your life raft thinking, I'm going to ditch everybody. I'm going to leave this ship, and I'm going to go over to dry land. Let me tell you something. God has a promise, and God has a plan, and you need to rely on that. You need to remember the promise. Sometimes we want a new promise. Sometimes we want a new way, but God wants to say, let me remind you of the original promise. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, and I will be with you until the end of the earth. You need to stay in the ship. Yeah, it looks like shipwreck, but he's going to bring you ashore. Hallelujah. Do you believe that this evening? Let's worship him. God is in this house. Hallelujah. So we find Paul where we read in the opening text. They make their way to this land. And all of a sudden, they get stuck in a reef. Maybe it was sand, but the front of the boat got stuck and couldn't move. And the seas were still violent. And so now they're trying to make last-minute decisions. They're still trying to figure out, well, well, if the prisoners leave, then, then, then the guards are going to die because it's their duty to watch them. And if they find out their prisoner escaped, then that man's going to die too. So let's just go ahead and kill the prisoners lest they swim to shore and, and leave and, and go. And, and then we are in trouble. And Paul says, no, God still gave me a promise. Let those that can swim jump out of the boat now and swim to the dry land and let us right now who stay and remain, if there's any pieces of this boat, when it breaks apart, just grab onto it and float to shore. And that is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 27. Every man made it because they listened to the man of God and they stayed in the ship and even when the ship seemed like it couldn't last, those pieces from the ship carried them to safety. God is going to make a way for somebody when it it seems impossible. Hallelujah. But you've got to have faith this evening to believe that he can and he will. We need to put a fight inside of us that says it's worth it. It's worth staying in this ship. It's worth staying in this boat. I'm grounded. I'm rooted. I'm not giving up. It's like Jonathan and his armor bearer. We find Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 14. That Jonathan one day, the son of Saul, said unto his armor bearer, Let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he didn't tell his father, who was somewhere else underneath a pomegranate tree, with 600 men. Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah. With 600 men, and Ahai, the son of Ahitab, and Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. Jonathan sneaks out. It is a time of war, and Philistine is mocking his people. And so he isn't just going to sit around and let the enemy taunt, and let the enemy try and destroy what God has blessed him with. And so they go up into a passage, and the Bible says that they find themselves in 
quite a predicament because they're in between two places, a rock and a hard place, literally two rocks, one sharp on one side and one is a, is a sharp on the other side. And so it's like, here we are, we're stuck. We're in between a rock and a hard place. And so what can we do? And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, he said, come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. <laughs> I like that. He, he said, it may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. You can't put God in a box. You don't know how he's going to do it. But one thing's for sure, we don't cower to the enemy and we do not give up. And so if we're here to fight, then we're going to fight, baby. We're going to fight no matter what comes our way. Even if we're in a rock and a hard place, even if we are on lower ground, we're going to make ourselves known. This is what Jonathan says. We're going to make ourselves known unto this Philistine garrison and we're going to see we're going to see what they say unto us. And if they tell us, go ahead and come up here, then that's what we're going to do. And that's going to be a sign unto us that God is on our side. And his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thine heart. Uh, you need to have some good friends that support your godly decisions. You need to have somebody that says, whatever you do in the name of Jesus, I'm here to help you out. I'll carry your armor. I'll walk with you all the way. I'll pray with you. I'll be there with you until the end. And so they go. Both of them discovered themselves into the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrew come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. The enemies mocking these young men. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. Or come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson, young boy. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. For the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of the enemy, or into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet. Now this wasn't easy. If you could picture where they were, they're climbing uphill between a rock and a hard place just to get to an acre of land where 20 men are waiting so they can have battle against them. But you want to know something that's so beautiful? They believed that God was going to do it, and they didn't just waste any time. They took care of business. They went up there, both Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they slew 20 men. That was about an acre of parcel of land, and there was a great earthquake after that, and the Philistines are running scared. Let me tell you tonight, just hear me. God has a promise. God wants you to stand up. God wants you to fight. He doesn't want you to sit back and just let things happen and just say, well, that happened. I'm just going to sit here and whatever Saul does, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to, I'm just going to wait on the enemy to come to us. No, ma'am. No, sir. I'm going to fight with every fiber that's in my being to stand up and proclaim victory in the name of Jesus. Put your hands together and worship him. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I don't believe God calls cowards. He may have called you when you were a coward, but he didn't call you to be a coward. 
He may have called you when you were behind the wine press, but he called you a mighty man of valor for a reason because he sees something greater in you. He knows that you're capable of something great. That's why you're here today. That's why you're a peculiar people. That's why you're a chosen generation. God handpicked you to be in this place tonight. It's not by happenstance. You need to get that within the confines of your mind and know that you're a called son and daughter of the King Most High. Talking about fighting, I like this story. Brother Bradford likes this story. I haven't told it in a while, but it fits. I want to tell it. I used to work for a pest control company, and uh, I was I was servicing a home, a rather large, long parcel, had a long backyard in the Rosedale area, and uh, we have a hose that's connected to our small Mazda truck, and it has chemicals in that tank that spray through that hose, rather long hose. And uh, I had it almost stretched out to the max because I was, I was spraying uh, the fence lines and the flower beds and I was doing a little crack and crevice treatment around the curb and gutter. And uh, I came to the back fence of the parcel and it was a long way to the front yard. And <clears throat> as I was working, servicing this backyard, um, I had my hand, I had to lean onto the fence so I could spray around some bushes. The chemical would damage the bushes, so you had to spray it on the roots, not, uh, not near the leaves, because it would burn the leaves. And uh, when I put my hand on the back of the fence, I felt something hit the fence. Boom, 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 boom. And it was, it was a pretty, pretty huge thud. And it made me stop what I was doing and think, there is something on that other side of the fence. And I'm really thankful for the fence right now. Praise God, there's a fence. So I continued my work, not worried, not scared, and uh, leaned over again. I had these big rubber gloves on, these funky goggles to protect me. Put my hand over the fence, ba-ba-boom, it hit the fence again. And, uh, and I was thankful that the fence was there again. And so, the third time, I was doing the same thing as aforementioned. Put my hand over the fence, and this creature on the other side bangs on these fences that were eight inches wide, six foot tall. And when it hit it the third time, one of those fencing boards fell in slow motion. And I looked into the opening, and on the other side now of this fence, which can no longer protect me, were not one, but two boxer dogs growling, ready for action. I was not ready for action. I was not made for speed. It's amazing how many thoughts go through your brain in milliseconds. I knew what would happen if I turned and ran. I wouldn't get very far and I would get chewed up. And so I looked through my goggles with my hose in hand at these two slobbering mutts I have a boxer, by the way. They're pretty, pretty daunting. 
and I lowered myself like a linebacker and just looked at them and with my fiercest, growliest bark, I yelled, four feet away. And those dogs cowered, ears flattened back to their head, turned around, yep, 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 ran all the way to the front of the house. And me, quick-witted, picked up the board, boom, slammed it back into place, and yelled for help from the property owner that she should get this fence mended. But the point being is, is you don't let the enemy taunt you. You don't let the enemy scare you, even though he is as a roaring lion. And even though it's all, his only purpose is to kill and to steal and to destroy, and that's really what he's trying to do. He's trying to destroy some saints of God tonight. But let me tell you, you need to stand your ground. You don't need to run. You need to face him on your turf. It's not his turf. It's your turf. It's your calling. It's your marriage. It's your church. It's your friendship. It's your family. It's your ministry. And you need to yell back at him. And you need to let him know who's in charge. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Clap your hands. Hallelujah. Thank God. Hallelujah. There's some promises in the house tonight. There's some promises in the house tonight that are going to be fulfilled. Hallelujah. And I'm almost done. The musicians, you may come. I just want to say that there are many promises in the Bible that came only about through hardship. God told Moses and the people of Israel, I'm going to deliver you into a land that flows with milk and honey. I'm going to take you out of this slavery from Egypt into a land that I will give you. And to get there, the Israelites had to face they had to face many, many obstacles. They had to face Pharaoh and his hard heart. They had to witness all of those plagues and the deaths of the firstborn. And they had to come to a Red Sea. You think that was pleasant? That wasn't pleasant. That was hard. They had to walk in the desert. They had to wander for 40 years because some people, some spies had a bad testimony. They had to wait for that promise. But let me tell you something. There was some shipwreck. Hallelujah. There was some failure. But they they made it to the other side. They made it assure because they knew that God's promise was going to come to pass. You can look at guys like Joseph who had a promise that he was going to be something great in God's kingdom. And his own brethren, they took him and they tried to kill him. But then they spared his life and hid him from their dad and made their father Israel think that he was dead. And then he got sold into slavery. And then he had to face all of the humility in Potiphar's house with that wife of his and that false accusation and he had to go to prison and he interpreted some dreams there and he was forgotten in prison but one day the king called him up and he interpreted a dream and God blessed him and that promise that God had gave him a long time ago came into fruition because someone said I know God gave me a dream I know God gave me hope I know God gave me a promise I'm not going to give up I'm not going to turn tail and run. I'm going to stay in the ship. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to hear me tonight. You don't need to devise your own plan. You don't need to run and hide. You don't need to go somewhere else or church hop or visit another sanctuary. You have a place right now. You have an altar right here at GBFPC. How long are you going to wait until you make things right with God and believe on his promise?
How long are you going to let God's promise be stalled because you're stubborn? Be stalled because you won't believe? Be stalled because you won't raise your hands? Be stalled because you won't come to an altar? Hallelujah. Paul said, except you abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. (laughs) Let's praise God. I worship you. I thank you. Hallelujah. In the midst of the storm, we're convinced I need a new promise. I need to know a new how. And God comes to tell us, you don't need a new promise. You need to hear the same promise again. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until until the day of Jesus Christ. That is a promise, my friend. God is going to work in you, and he won't stop until he comes again. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. These are promises that God stands upon that we can lean to in the time of trouble. I've been through trials. I've been through storms. I've seen divorce wreck families. I've seen the hardest times of life. And let me tell you, there's no replacement for staying in the ship. Hallelujah. It's not worth any humiliation. It's not worth turning your back on God and walking away. It's not worth it. It's not worth it, my friends. What really matters is you saying, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe you, God, and I'm sailing with you all the way. Hallelujah. Let's worship him. Hallelujah. As they sing together, praise God. Let's worship him. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Jehovah Jireh. 